0: I forgot to do a sound check. So, uh, yeah, this this last Tuesday night was a very special night, and I am so uh, blessed to be a part of the Wesleyan Church movement. As many of you know, I grew up in a Wesleyan church, and I got to be ordained in the church that I grew up in. Um, And I had a a special pastor there beyond Pastor Dave. He was there to pray over me as well. Um, But I had a pastor that has known me since I was six years old. Uh, be there to pray over me, which was very, uh, very special to me. You know, I feel like this last Tuesday is is kind of a culmination of 20 years of my life, and uh, it was it was a big deal for me, as as you might imagine. Today, I wanted to share with you uh, a little bit about my calling and a little bit about my heart and my passion for the church, um, and. I titled the message today, Not Given Up, because I, it really is a, a, a theme of my life, is to not give up on the Lord, and especially His call on my life. And now, as you know, I, I vocationally, am a, I work in hospice care, but I do know that that's not the only way that God is using me, and, and I'm really excited that I've been placed here at Neighborhood Christian Fellowship. This was a God thing, you know, I just kind of showed up, and... Um, We searched the internet for Wesleyan Churches, and I showed up here, and this was where I'm supposed to be, and that's a God thing. That's an awesome thing, and um, (laughs) Pastor Dave has been awesome, and I'm very grateful for his uh, guidance and his friendship uh, in this journey, and I wouldn't have gotten through ordination without him. Seriously, I would not, Um, so thank you very much, Pastor Dave, for doing that with me. Um, But besides being in hospice work and doing bereavement care and and chaplain care, um, I've been recently engaged in a process with the Wesleyan Church, not just for ordination, but to become a commissioned coach inside of the denomination. And um, basically what that means is somebody that the denomination goes to to help uh, assign you a pastor within the denomination to be a mentor and coach for uh, for a certain period of time. And um, Dave doesn't even know I had my final meeting with Jim yesterday, and I am now commissioned as a coach uh, in our movement, and he actually did ask me if I would become a mentor coach thing. So I will be working towards that, Dave. That's a very exciting thing to help train other pastors to become coaches, uh, which is a really awesome thing. So there are so many different things that I'm getting to be a part of, and and starting in August, I'm going to be coaching my first pastor, and it's, a, it's a, a woman in Sacramento who's planting a church this fall to reach the younger generation. And um, our district superintendent thought I would be a good match for this, uh, this incredible lady because, um, because of my heart for the next generation, so, for which I will be sharing with you a little bit about today. I know that I'm in a season of blessing right now, and I'm sucking it up, okay? I'm loving it, okay? Okay. Um, <laughs> Because uh, there have been plenty of times in my life, in my ministry journey, that I really wanted to give up. Okay, I'm not perfect, right? Only Christ is. There are times that I've been depressed, I've been down, I've been gone through seasons of dryness. There were seasons of storms that have turned my world completely upside down. When I lost a job in the church and I had no idea what I was going to do, God thrust me into hospice care. Okay? That totally rocked my world, but I, was, I felt like called you know, to an obedient following of where Jesus was leading me, and I'm so glad I did, because I, I love doing what I do, and it's where I'm supposed to be. But it's been an interesting journey as a pastor. I have served, get this, in six churches, Okay, <laughs> six churches in hospice care, and now um, I'm getting to be a part of this church in the movement of the Wesleyan Church, and I'm just so excited that it kind of has all kind of come to this point. Um, My life and my journey, I'll share a little bit more as we go along today. But I was called to pastoral ministry when I was in eighth grade, and it was at summer camp, okay? So this is why it's important to pray for our students when they go to beach camp because things happen, spiritual things happen in those settings. And so I remember sitting um, as a part of a a service at, at summer camp, and they were asking people to share what God is being doing in their life and I stood up and I said I don't have any idea what I what this means but I I'm sensing that I'm supposed to serve God and his church the rest of my life and I remember that and I I, I'll never forget that moment and I was supported in that by my friends and my pastors in my life and all throughout my teenage years that is what I was solidly committed to pursuing and I'm really really glad that I was able to um, stay focused on that I was horrible in school by the way um, I barely made it out of high school. Uh, I, I skipped doing math work and I was doing service in church and stuff. and like I was doing all kinds of stuff, but I didn't take my uh, academics seriously until I got to college, thankfully, <laughs> that I, I did that. But I, I wanted to share with you some scriptures um, text out of Colossians chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, please open to Colossians chapter 1. Um, today and there's two special passages inside of this chapter and if you don't have a bible raise your hand we can get a bible in your hands to use today and if you don't have one take it home with you as a gift from us to you i want to share this pa- the, a couple of different scriptures one is my actual pastoral calling scripture i i i felt um this calling early in my life, and as I studied the scriptures, God led me to Colossians chapter 1, and He gave me my pastoral calling verse. And it's probably a pretty popular one for pastors out there because it's so, so pointedly um, much about the pastoral calling. And then there was another special section of scripture in that, uh, in that chapter that was prayed over me on Tuesday night. Tuesday night, the general superintendent of the Wesleyan church. Um, said he and his wife hand made these little crosses, and on them he, they wrote a scripture verse on it. And it's uh, Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 through 12 on here. And they actually, um, as Pastor Dave prayed through the psalm today, um, Wayne Schmidt, our general superintendent, prayed through this scripture over me while they laid hands on me and prayed uh, for me. So I figured I'd probably share a few thoughts from that text as well today. If you don't know much about the book of Colossians, it is a letter written by Paul, and it's a a church in the town of Colossae. This church was a relatively um, unimportant city, (laughs) about a hundred miles east of of Ephesus. Paul himself had never actually been there. Um, He he knew of this church. Um, The church was probably founded by a guy named Ephras, who he names in this uh, section of scripture we're going to read today. And it was uh, a place of concern for Paul because of what was happening in the city and the culture of uh, the town of Colossae and it was affecting the church. There was false teachings about who Jesus was and different types of um, false teaching entering the church and he was writing this letter to call the church back to the true gospel. And, and he was doing this and there's really an interesting section of scripture because some of the Christians in here, in this city, were being influenced by these teachings. And he wanted to, to make sure that the, the church would stay true to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, what was happening is they were mixing religions. Some of the r- religious uh, teachings and rituals from, from pagan mysticism and from some Jewish stuff in there. And thrown in a whole bunch of everything. It was kind of like a melting pot of religious spiritual belief. Uh, does that sound familiar? Um, yeah, our culture today is kind of the same, okay? People, I hear it all the time in hospice work. I'll ask them what their spiritual background is. I'm like, well, I believe this, and I believe that, and I met a, a gentleman a couple weeks ago that said he he used to be a Presbyterian or something, and then he's now um, a Unitarian. And I, he's like, I don't really believe in God the same way everybody does, and which was really interesting, and I'm getting to know him, and then... I'm like, is there anything I could do for you today to spiritually encourage you? And he goes, well, I kind of like to read the Bible. I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, so I'm like, wow, all right, so let's read the scripture. What, what scripture? He's like, well, I kind of like Psalm 23. I'm like, okay, great. So I started to, and he grabbed his Bible. He had one. He had grabbed his Bible, and, and um, then he ended up wanting me to read from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which I thought was really interesting. Um, Matthew chapter 5 is what I ended up reading with him. That day, But I meet people all the time that have kind of a, a plethora of spiritual religious belief based upon different belief systems in the world today. Um, and that's like this town in Colossae. And we want to make sure as a church that we stay free from any of that. Okay? We are going to stay true to the scriptures, stay true to the gospel. I want to start reading in chapter 1, verse 24. This is the text that um, I have always held in my life as my uh, pastoral calling text. Starting in verse 24. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. Now, if you know anything about Paul, right, he suffered quite a bit for the, in ministry. The word suffering here is is never used for describing the sufferings that Jesus uh, endured on the cross. It's actually speaking in terms of his, his journey, his earthly ministry, suffering for God's people and experiencing life as a minister of the gospel in a, in a very hostile world that he was in. And what he's talking about here is he's, what it's lacking is, from Paul's perspective, is, you know what, I have suffered a lot, but I have not suffered the way Jesus has suffered. And I, I count it as my duty to continue suffering, but it's not at that same level uh, of Jesus, Now, I mentioned it earlier, you know, I I can't tell you that I've suffered like Paul, okay? I haven't been beat up for my faith. Uh, The guy was beat up a lot. I've never been beat up, but I've been called a lot of names, right? I've been hurt. I've been, I've had a lot of suffering. I've been hurt so deeply by people, and I've been told I wear my emotions on my sleeve. You guys know people like that? Um, I've been hurt by people so deeply that I literally felt like I was going to need to give up, that this is not what God's called me to do. I made the biggest mistake in my life uh, to go into church ministry. I wanted to give up. Now, even on times I've had like that, there have been times of fruitful ministry. You know, as a youth pastor, I saw many dozens of students come to faith in Christ, get baptized. And I've seen students grow up and become um, pastors themselves. It's, I've seen fruit, f- fruit in my ministry, and I'm like, okay, I've had all this difficulty, then I've had fruit. Which one outweighs the other? Lord, help me. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I'm suffering. But God kept calling me back to church. He kept calling me back to the ministry, and he said, No, don't give up. So I'm proud to be able to stand up here on this platform today and say I've not given up on the church. Verse 25, I have become its servant by the commission God gave to me to present to you the Word of God in its fullness. The servant aspect of leadership. Paul was ser- was charged to serve the church. The word commission is kind of like this charge. It's a, it's a responsibility placed upon a minister. And this is the charge that I was given on Tuesday night. I was given the charge and the responsibility to preach the Word of God, to present... The church, the word of God in all of its fullness. That's a deep responsibility. And I have felt that responsibility since I was in eighth grade. It's grown in its depth. It's grown in its understanding. It's grown in its um, application since eighth grade. But I have truly felt like I have been called to serve God's church. Verse 26, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people, to them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. One commentator says that Paul is speaking of a threefolded mystery here. The mystery of the church itself. The church was new in his time. The idea of the church was new. This was a mystery that had been kept from the Hebrew people at that time. It's now in in full force. There is a mystery of Christ's indwelling. There was something about the fact that the Holy Spirit had come and indwelt the believers that was still very mysterious, and I would say it is very mysterious today. But it's being revealed through Christ. And the last part of this mystery is that the person of Christ himself is the fullness of God presented to humanity. He's got no longer a mystery. He's been uh, personified in Christ himself, Jesus himself. Verse 28. You know the reason, and let me side note, note. the reason why that's very important is one of the false teachings was uh, what's referred to as Gnosticism, which believed that anything physical or matter that had physical matter was sinful, therefore could not be divine. So they didn't really believe. There was a false teaching that didn't believe Jesus was divine. Okay, so that's part of what he's addressing in this text. Verse 28, he is, he is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I'm reminded that Paul had a balanced ministry. He preached, he taught, he warned people, he sought to seek truth in others' lives not just a few but in his whole goal was to present every believer mature in christ it's the call of the pastor to not just make converts to but to what make disciples people who are obediently following the lord himself now this is something i want to be able to say about me in my life when i at my life's end i want people to be able to say he faithfully served the church He faithfully served his family, and he did not give up. Let's go back to verse 3 in in Colossians chapter 1. This is a prayer that he prayed for this church, and this is a prayer I pray for us today, and this is the prayer that was prayed over me on Tuesday. He says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all of God's people. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel. I love the word hope in this passage. I live in a realm of of hope giving as a hospice chaplain. People need hope at at their life's end. The word hope here is actually referring to heaven. It's referring to the ultimate reward of heaven. Heaven. And if we are looking towards heaven and restraining towards heaven, the Christian life then calls us to faithfully follow Jesus and love people as we are on that pursuit of heaven. It all stems back to the the hope that we have for eternal life through Christ. Verse 6, that has come to you in the same way the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been, doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Ephras, our dear uh, fellow servant who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the spirit. I love this. Paul reminds them and he reminds us today that we're a part of a growing movement of God. We are not stand alone. That's one of the reasons why being a part of a denomination is actually a very helpful thing. It's to say, you know what, we're not a solo thing. We're not here on our own. We're connected to a greater movement of God. And that's an incredible thing. I I spent most of my pastoral life in non-denominational independent churches. And there's good and bad with both, (laughs) Dave, you would know. There's good parts about being a part of a denomination and there's some bad stuff. But there's some good, I, I would say the good far outweighs the bad. Because I've been hurt in churches, and I've had churches do things, and you're like, you've got to be kidding me. You're allowed to treat people like this? There's no sense of accountability outside of itself? With a denomination, that doesn't happen nearly as much. (laughs) Catch that? Yeah, that's good. We all need accountability, right? So... We are a part of something greater than just ourselves. Verse 9, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with knowledge of his word through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience in giving, joyfully, give, in giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in his inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. Isn't that amazing? Gosh, that's like, that's like an incredible prayer. If we could just commit to praying that prayer, I know at, at, at 1002... Every day, my alarm goes off, and I say a prayer for Neighborhood Christian Fellowship. And I think God is telling me I need to pray this prayer. This is the prayer to pray every day. This knowledge is not just about intellectual knowledge, but it's our awareness of Christ in our life to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of of Him and to follow Him in obedience. You know, in in the false teachings of his day, they didn't believe that the will of God could be known without some sort of a secret ritual or a mystical thing that happens. See, our relationship with God is very personal. And it's not just about a a set of doctrines we believe, but we grow in, in our relationship with Christ and we follow after Him and He teaches us along the way. And we can be brought to a point of fullness in Christ. In the Wesleyan movement, we, we call that entire sanctification. There is a point in our life that we say, you know what, we are totally surrendered to God and we're going to follow him no matter what. And We're going to obey. We're going to try to live a life that is loved, about loving God and loving others to the best of our ability through the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you want this to be said about you? These Christians did not give up on their faith. They didn't give up on the church. Do you want to see God do amazing things in and through, not just you individually, but us corporately? I do. I haven't given up. I have not given up on the church. And there's so many things that can make us give up in this world. You know, people these days don't go to church, right? You know, it's, it's less and less of an important thing. People are hungry for community, but they're finding it outside of the church, and that breaks my heart. My heart for the church. Let me just share with you for the next few moments. My heart for the future of the church. I actually have a website. It's called futuraleadership.com, and I called it Futura Leadership because I believe that God needs to raise up more leaders for the future of his church. There are some pastors out there that preach about the second coming of Jesus, like it's going to be here next week. And they don't actually think in terms of, well, what if he doesn't come in the next 50 years? What does the church look like 50 years from now? We need to prepare for that. We need to keep moving forward in our culture. Yeah, I hope Jesus comes soon because things are getting pretty bad out there. But if he doesn't, what does the church look like? I want to reach the next generation for the Lord. But the problem is, in America, we're facing this huge problem with the next generation. The young people, the millennial generation, those born 1980 to 2000, most of them don't go to church. I think the stat is somewhere by like 80-something percent don't go to church. Now, I've always felt called to be the pastor for this generation. And the cool thing is, is I get to be in a church that's pastored by a millennial. How cool is that? He's one of the faithful, but I'm one of those Gen Xers that nobody likes, okay? So like, I'm, not, I'm like stuck in between, you know? So I, I have felt this, this calling to say, okay, I'm in, in the, the least liked generation in the, in, in the world, and, and, and the least involved, it's kind of interesting, there's not a whole lot of Gen Xers that are leading the church these days. So we have boomers that are getting ready to retire, and they've actually stuck in the pulpits of their churches longer because of the downturn in the economy. But then there's just not a lot of Gen Xers that are like in the, in the wings to to come on up and start preaching in the pulpits and leading the church in the future. So what's happening is the churches, like, just like businesses are, are having to think of, okay, we've got to start raising up the younger generation sooner in their lives and sooner in their careers than we... Normally would, because there's just not very many actors to go around. We're the smallest generation on the planet right now. So I want all the church not to give up on this young generation. God still has a plan for us. God's Spirit is calling us not to give up on them. I want to call our attention to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, another passage of the Apostle Paul, the greatest church planter and missionary of all time. And I want us to read this text realizing that he is a missionary and he's calling us to become missionaries. That could be scary, but it's true. We don't have to go across the ocean to be in a different culture. It's here, right now, experiencing it. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, starting in verse 19. Should it be up on the screen as well? It says, Though... I am free and belong to no one. I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like those under the law, though I I myself are not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I I am not free from God's law, but I am under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law. To the weak I have become weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that all by all possible means I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Paul, as a missionary, took identifying the gospel to his culture seriously. And he took it as a a desired means, his means to a desired end. Paul did everything with the view to bringing people to Christ. We need to understand that Paul himself stayed pure and holy in his approach in his life. That's what he was talking about here. He says, hey, I'm 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 still under Christ's law. I'm still a follower of Jesus. I'm still going to obey him. I'm not going to compromise but i'm going to do what i can to change my methods to reach more people he was a living example of to be in the world but not of it <clears throat> the church today needs to find a way to engage young people young people are tribal and they choose to engage in activities if they see that it's real and intriguing and something exciting this intrigue causes their curiosity to take over, and they will check church out if they see a movement of people joining together for a common cause. This is a cause generation. They're attracted to that. And in the world of politics, they're attracted to civil rights, okay? because that's Politics have got this down. How to attract the young people. They want to see and be a part of something bigger than themselves. But what a a bigger and better cause there is in the world than to tell the redemptive story of Jesus. It's the best cause in the world to see people's lives changed. Seth Godin is a um, marketing guru in the business world. He said, a movement is thrilling. It is the work of many people, all connected, all seeking something better how he describes a movement. If the church is stagnant and not seeing people come to faith in Christ and living radically transformed lives, don't expect to create a movement. But that's what needs to happen. In Christianese, we call this revival. I would say that's not a relevant term. A more relevant term for our culture is movement. We want to create a movement. As a matter of fact, our denomination, it refers itself to that now. We are a movement of God. So this generation being, though, it exists primarily outside of the, the church. Some, though, were raised in the church. There's been a lot of studies done in the recent years at Fuller uh, Seminary and other places about how students have been raised, that have been raised in the church When they go off to college, they don't come back to church. They're dropping out. Tom and Sam Rayner is a son, uh, a dad and son, uh, two pastors. Uh, Sam uh, Rayner's, I think they're Southern Baptists, aren't they? I think so. And they're part of the Southern Baptist Convention, but there's uh, research guys. They do all kinds of research. They wrote a book together some years ago called Essential Church, Reclaiming a Generation of Dropouts, and I read it, um, and it really uh, is a challenging book to say, okay, here's some statistical research that we've done of why young people are no longer in church, and then on the positive side, what are the things that churches are doing that are actually reaching the younger generation, and so they did this research, and they came up four simple principles, and I want to go over those four simple principles with us today because I think it could help us as a church. And I want to encourage us as a church because I know our pastor is seeking to figure out what the next step of our church family should be. And we're praying for that, for him, in that process. I know he shared that with us in our business meeting, if you were there. Number one, if a church is to reach the younger generation, we are to simplify the church develops a, a clear structure and a process for making disciples. Where there is simplicity, there is clarity of direction, which helps young people know what, uh, what is ahead as far as growth and learning is concerned. Now, in life, you all know that life is not simple, right? Okay. One of the reasons why this generation is having a hard time navigating is because of the, the, they're, they're having a hard time because people are not... Um, Helping them with their next steps in life. This is why coaching is powerful. That's what coaching is all about. Okay? Um, but we, when we have a clear process, a clear structure, and you say, well, we're going to work this. We're going we're gonna to make it as simple as possible. Because one of the things that we realize about church ministry and growth in our culture today is that more activity doesn't make necessarily mean more fruit. Okay? Being busy is not working. Most people only give a certain amount of time to their church family a week because their lives are so busy. Would you not agree? Huh? That's what we all face, being busy. This generation, though, is so busy with life. When they're not working, they're playing. Okay? They're, they're busy doing stuff. And we've got to find a way to simplify what church is like. Because if it's too, uh, too complex, they won't engage in it. We've developed a simple thing. Pastor Dave has come up with this wonderful, wonderful way of describing how we do discipleship. Up, in, and out. Up is our relationship with God and worship. In is our relationships with one another and community. And out is our relationship to the world that needs Jesus, our mission. Okay? So we're trying to kind of develop some of these things. And we're continuing to work on that as a church to, to, to be simple in the way we do things. Number two, deepen. The church provides strong biblical teaching and preaching. This should encourage us. What really is attractive to young people is strong biblical teaching and preaching. And I think our pastor is a a great example of that. As a millennial himself, he's drawn to go through the text of Scripture, right? We've been going through the Gospel of John how long now? (laughs) Forever. But there's a reason, because he's drawn, I want us to go deep into the Word. I want us to draw closer to God through the teaching and preaching of not just how-to messages, but really dive into the Scriptures. And I appreciate that about him, because I think that's true of the generation. This, like, little false, like, how-to kind of messages, like, you know, sitcom-style church where you can like wrap up all life's problems in less than 30 minutes. Like that doesn't, it doesn't make any sense to young people. It's like that's not real. That's not life. But Jesus calls us to preach the word and the truth of it. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We stick to that message. And we dive deep into that message of obedience to him. Young people today like to be told the truth. They're so sick and tired of being told lies and half-truths. You know, this whole thing with fake news these days, all that. We need to have a centering place like the church that just tells it like it is. This is it. This is the way it's supposed to be. This is the way God has called us to live. This is the truth of God's word. They are so inundated with the postmodern neutral, uh, uh, nutrient of pluralism, just anything goes mentality, that they're, they're lost. They're swimming in it. They don't even know which way is up. Let's be a church that centers ourselves around the depth of our teaching of the Word of God. Ed Stetzer is a, a church planting expert. He says, Death is about the level of content. It's about engaging people at every level, emotionally, intellectually, spiritually, and even physically. But death of content is not just about what you say, it's about you as a teacher. One of the reasons why young adults think of church as a sitcom-like way is because they see very little authentic struggle from their leadership. So what this means is that young people want to see passion, They want to see desire. They want to see struggle. They want to see authenticity from the pastor preaching the word. We have that in our pastor, by the way. They know and understand that no one's perfect, so a leader shouldn't try to act like it. This comes off as unrealistic. It's like watching one of those reality TV shows, right? It's not real. They figured it out. It's not real. It's just entertainment. They like this straightforward, in-your-face style. If you were to look at like the churches around the country that have a ton of young people in them, their, their preachers are like straight-up, in-your-face type preachers. It's, it's kind of interesting to me. We all, Every preacher has a different style, right? We're all different people. You know. Um, we're not to try to mimic another church or another pastor or another preacher. We're to be who God has called us to be. As men of, of, of the preachers of the word, that's what we do. We try to be authentic about it. I know for myself, when I'm getting ready to preach and I'm, I'm struggling and I'm like, I don't know, I, I really don't have a clue what I'm doing with this message, you know? And, and, and sometimes God's message comes to you in that point of struggle. And, in, and for us to be able to come out in, in, the, in the corporate setting and say it and say, this is how I've struggled with this, that's a big deal. This generation is, believe it or not, hooked on continual learning and education. Some of you know that well because you have a student who's like 27, getting a master's degree and still living at home. <laughs> okay? Um, they, there's something about our culture that it's the, they're driven to say, I need, to, I need more. I need more information. I need more. Well, let's give it to them. Let's give them the meat of the word. Number three, Expect. The church has a conviction that communicates to its members they must be committed to the local congregation. I, I see this, man. I see young people, they might be, because it's a smorgasbord approach to spirituality, so they might go to one church on Sunday for the preaching. They might go to another church on the, on the week because they have a women's Bible study they like. They might go to this church, but there's no deep commitment to a single local church. We need to call them to that. A local church needs its people. We need to call ourselves to to greater commitment. We know Jesus calls us to deny ourselves, to take up our cross daily and follow him. If we are to live a life of self-denial and complete obedience, that also has something to do with our involvement in his kingdom work in the life of the church. We need to be able to connect with this generation, though. One of the reasons why they leave church after going to youth group is because they have not had any f- relational connection with anybody outside of the youth group. They figured that out. Fuller, Fuller Seminary there, they did a great study on it. It's called Sticky Faith. You might want to look it up. But how do churches make the faith sticky to them until they, after they graduate high school? One of them is hugely important, is to be in connected to the full body of Christ not just segmented in the youth ministry. Somehow find a way to integrate them into the life of the church, to be fully committed members of the life of the church, not just the youth ministry. That was my story. I'm a testament to that. I was involved in my youth group, yes, but I had other aspects of ministry that I was involved in, serving in and leading in that were outside of just the youth ministry. I had more adult friends than I had teen friends at the time. That's how I got stayed connected. That's what we need for our church for the future. We can't be satisfied with that buffet style. We need to call people to commitment. Tom Rainer said in that book, he said, dropouts left because they felt disconnected for the people in the church. Those who stayed did so because they felt connected. Now, it leads me to the last point from this book. Another author said, uh, Julia uh, Duhin, she said, this generation tends to be disinterested in church unless they're running it. Think about that. So that leads me to the last point, multiply. Multiply. The church has an outward focus driving to reach people for Christ and start new churches. I know Pastor Dave has spoken about this before. He's spoken about the effectiveness of evangelism through the planting of new churches. But statistically speaking, it's true that more people come to faith in Christ through a new church community than established ones. just is. We see that modeled in the New Testament era, right? All the churches expanding and expanding and expanding. It wasn't because of one big mega church happening, Right? There's a whole bunch of small ones. And I would say this, this planting is also this planting of new congregations and kind of an outward thrust that way and, and sending people out, that actually moves this generation and will innovate um, to encourage them and empower them to take leadership. And creating a movement by cultivating this environment of innovation and change and something new, something exciting. It's interesting in culture, this generation wants to be entrepreneurs, but they're scared stiff because they have thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars of student loan debt. But they want to innovate. They want to do that, but they're being held back financially. Check. That's the main reason why churches don't plant new churches, right? Empowering the next generation will require us from just not just doing church, We need to inspire and empower the next generation to reach their generation for Christ. And this kind of a movement will attract young leaders to take leadership. But this type of movement also requires leadership that's not afraid to take risks. It requires bold faith to send out missionaries to reach more people. People who are not currently being reached. I have no idea what God has in store for Neighborhood Christian Fellowship. But one thing I do know about our movement, our movement is committed to this, the planting of new churches. And I'm psyched I get to be a part of one from afar as I coach a church planter this coming year. There was a a great movie. I, I love the Star Trek movies. Anybody watch the Star Trek movies? How about the new Star Trek movies? Anybody The new ones that's come out? Okay. There's a scene in the first one that came out in 2009, the first remake of the Star Trek movie, where Captain Pike, the captain of the Enterprise, meets Jim Kirk for the first time in a bar. Jim had got into a fight with other Starfleet um, cadets in the academy, and Jim himself wasn't currently a cadet, but his father was in Starfleet, and Captain Pike knew his father and his father's heritage, and what he had done. And he sits down, and he has this incredible conversation with Kirk. If you remember this, this, this meeting, he says, he asked Kirk if he felt like his life was meant for something better, something special. And the point of he was getting in a brawl in a bar, and he's like, hey, knock it off. Do you feel like your life is meant for something more than that right there? He stops him in his tracks, and he reminds Kirk of the significant heroic courage of his own dad. His dad was in command of a ship for 12 minutes and saved over 800 people's lives, including Kirk's and his mom's. And he's going over that story again with him, and he says, you know what? He looked at him straight in the face, and he says, I dare you to do better. I dare you to do better than that. Your dad was a captain for 12 minutes and he saved lives. I dare you. It's almost like that double dog dare, you know? I dare you to do better. And that must have really sunk into his soul because he spent the next several hours mulling it over and he does decide to join Starfleet the very next day, the last day that he could uh, for the coming year um, of training. Here's the thing I want to be like Captain Pike. I want to inspire the next generation to do better than the previous generations, not out of disrespect of the previous generations, but as a way to honor what the previous generation had done. I want that. I want to dare myself to lead and participate in God's mission in such a way that is better than the previous. And I want to call the next generation to do the same. So I tell us today as a church... I dare us to do it better. I'm going to go back and I'm going to read Colossians chapter 1, 24 through 29. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to edit it a little bit. Instead of the personal pronouns, I'm going to put in the we's. Okay? And I want to say this as a, as a prayer over us today because I want to call us as a church to not give up on God's call to reach more people for him. Let's not give up. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me as I read this prayer? Now we rejoice in what we are currently suffering for you. And we fill up in our flesh what is still lacking in, Christ, in regards to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, we strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in us. God, in this moment, we ask for your Holy Spirit to just do his work. God, we ask that you help us not to give up in times of struggle, in times of heartache, in times of disappointment, in times in a culture in which it looks as if there's no hope for the church. There's nothing that can destroy the church and its movement. God, help us, God, to not give up on our place inside of that movement as we move forward through your power of your Spirit, we pray. Amen.